The Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to The Leadership File, your weekly show inspiring you to lead for Christ wherever you are. I'm Andy Peck, your host, thanking you for joining us. Uh, And whether you're listening live or one of the many thousands who listen via the podcast, it's great to have you along. Uh, If you're new to the show, reminded that the show is available on demand via uh, premierradio.com or via iTunes or Podbean. Now, few of us would choose adversity, but looking back, many would say that during the tough times, God was doing a work within us that changed us like nothing else. And this is especially true for many who find themselves in Christian leadership in some way. Maybe it was adversity that thrust you into leadership or enabled you to be the leader you are. Well, this week I'm uh, joined by the Dr. Alan uh, Wilson. Uh, Alan served as a pastor for 21 years, 17 in Switzerland, and uh, serves a number of colleges as an associate tutor at Belfast Fast Bible College, uh, lecturing also at Irish Bible Institute in Dublin and in the Irish Baptist College. He lectures on leadership and his doctoral work focuses especially on the significance of crucible experiences in shaping Christian leaders. So welcome, Alan, to the Leadership File. Thank you, Andy. It's uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, super to have you along. Uh, just a few uh, words, perhaps, about your own journey into Christian leadership, first of all. Uh, yeah, well, I, as you mentioned, I pastored a couple of churches for about 21 years altogether. Um, I actually grew up, I think like yourself, uh, in a brethren background. So um, we didn't have any pastors. So probably the idea of being, when I was growing up, the idea of being a pastor would not have been something that would particularly have crossed the, the horizon. But I think one of the things that you will know from the, the brethren background is the opportunities that are given to develop in terms of preaching and teaching and so on. And I was given those opportunities. And, and I think when I eventually got the opportunity to move into what I would call vocational Christian leadership, um, it was it was an extension in some ways of what I'd already been doing, got the opportunity to do full time what I'd been doing part time. Um, and the bulk of that time uh, was in Switzerland, um, where we went 30 years ago and stayed for 17 years in an international church just outside Geneva. Oh, splendid. Uh, well, of course, the, the Christian Brethren had quite a presence in uh, both in Northern Ireland, where you're from, of course, yeah. and, also, and also in Switzerland itself. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to say, how did serving in Switzerland come about? Because that um, <laughs> sounds, sounds quite glamorous. <laughs> well, it is. A, it's a beautiful part of the world. Uh, we lived. We lived in a town called Neon. Uh, any football fans who are listening will maybe recognise that as the headquarters of UEFA. Um, so we were, we were there. It's a lakeside town on on the shores of uh, of Lake Geneva. Um, I think the the simple version to answer your question. The simple version is that um, I think going back all those years, it is three decades ago that we went, Uh, but going back all those years, I think my wife and I felt we were at a bit of a crossroads in terms of life direction. We'd spent quite a lot of time involved in in church stuff, uh, I think both at at home uh, in our our spare time, 
but also in terms of summer evangelism in France. Um, and, and we wondered whether that was the move that, that, we, would, that we would eventually end up working in France. Um, but there was one of those moments that you just can't really orchestrate. And we heard about a new church in Switzerland. Uh, it, was a, it was basically a plant uh, out of a church in Geneva itself. Um, and we decided to push the door um, and the, that door opened. It was, a, it was a very big step for us uh, with our lack of experience. Uh, it was also a very big step for them as a church. But we stayed for 17 years and uh, I think uh, in terms of ministry, obviously that's a very formative. That's a very formative time. Were you speaking English or French at that point? Yeah, it was an English-speaking church. Sure. But my wife and I both speak French. In fact, I was a I was a French teacher ah. before uh, we we went. That was my initial career. Um, but it was an English-speaking church. There are lots of uh, expats who live around the Geneva area, people who are there with uh, business or people who are there with international organisations that have headquarters in Geneva. Um, so, and that, of course, as you can imagine, makes for a makes for an unusual kind of a congregation. It's probably something that would be comparable to, say, a, a city church or a, a church in a university town uh, in, in the UK, because there's constant movement. We used to we used to talk about the church with a revolving door because every three years or so we would have had uh, massive turnover uh, and it's quite quite something when you see about a third of your congregation leaving all at once um, because it's it's time for them to re to relocate uh, that brings its challenges but also I think it, it, it brings a certain amount of freshness uh, with the church when you're seeing all that and you realize that I think the international church thing can be very strategic because you're influencing people who are going to go to other parts of the world and, and hopefully will have uh, learned some things and grown in some ways that will help them as, as they as they move out to other parts of the world. I mentioned in our introduction that you lecture in a number of different colleges. Uh, is it all leadership courses? Um, it is mostly. I do a few other more gen more general things. I, I, I teach a little bit of some biblical stuff. I teach a little bit of homiletics. Um, but my main thing really is leadership, um, both on a couple of undergrad courses and a couple of master's courses. Um, and that's, as you, as you mentioned, that's on either side of the border here in Ireland, um, in Belfast and in Dublin, and then a little bit also in the Baptist College, which is uh, not, not far from Belfast. So yeah, leadership is the main thing, and one of the things I like to one of the things I like to say to students is that um, the course that they do with me, um, I, I like to think of it. It's as much a leadership course as it is a course about leadership, and I think there's a subtle difference between those two. I think a course about leadership is something that's that's maybe purely academic. Um, you're you're standing back at something of a distance and, and learning about it as, as a subject. Whereas a leadership course, I hope there are elements in it that allow students to develop themselves and maybe begin to discern um, some of their own leadership giftings uh, and, and hopefully learn some things that will become part of their leadership, as many of them will uh, go on into leadership. Some of them are already involved in leadership, but many of them will go on um, further into to leadership and, and hopefully the course will have helped shape them for that. So it's a fairly fairly wide curriculum um, in terms of, of what we try to cover. Uh, we do some stuff on leadership generally, um, talk about some of the theories of leadership, some of the history of uh, the, the approaches that there are taken to leadership. Uh, but we also try to get at the biblical teaching and, and see how that integrates um, 
and I, I like to have some practitioners come in um, to, to do some Q&A stuff, I like to talk about call and character. Uh, I'm very interested, and we'll get on to this, I think, in, in our conversation, I'm very interested in the whole thing of the making of a leader and what is it that makes a leader. Um, and we talk about things like resilience and self-leadership. Those, those are some of the, the areas that we try to cover. Fabulous. Well, that brings me nicely to the, my next question is that, you know, you're writing a book on leadership uh, and you kindly let me see the introduction. I was especially struck by these words. Uh, the best leadership flows from who the leader is rather than merely the skills the leader has mastered. And I, I guess you were discussing the, the old chestnut of the extent to which the how to's of the management world can be imported into the church. Um, I just wonder if you could um, kind of unpack that before, for us, uh, Alan. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that observation, Andy. Um, yeah, I think there's probably a lot going on in, in that statement. Um, the there clearly are there are skills and abilities that a leader needs, <clears throat> or if I could broaden that slightly and maybe suggest that there are skills and abilities that should at least be shared by a team because uh, one leader is not necessarily going to have all the skills that are necessary for the the process of leadership. And I think it's it's very clear that leaders need to develop those as well as they possibly can. So if you're leading a team, you need to understand how teams work. You need to learn the skills of, of what it is to, to run a team. Um, you need to be learning these kind of lessons and implementing what you learn. Um, and, and skills and charisma can achieve a certain amount. I mean, we can't deny that. But um, if I can borrow from what, what Jesus says in the Gospels, where he says it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Uh, to paraphrase that slightly, from the overflow of the heart, the leader leads. And I think that, I think that a, it's a genuine overflow of life which inspires others. Um, and it's the character that gives, gives depth. Uh, it's the character that sustains the leadership um, that, that, that allows what the leader builds to last for the the longer term I think we're you know we're talking about fruit rather than something rather than simply something that's that's produced on a, on a product line um, if I could also say this that I, th I think the whole concept of that did you touch on in your question about importing the how-to's of the management world um, I, I wonder whether it's, I think maybe I prefer the word integrate rather than than import. Import it strikes me a little bit. Um, it's it, it reminds me of the Trojan horse, uh, and there's probably a point there because I think if we do import things from the business world, the danger is that there is a bit of a Trojan horse because we bring some things in and there there possibly are unintended consequences. But I think integration is a, I say integration is a word I'd prefer. Um, and I think if you take, for example, the work of Patrick Lencioni with his, his work on teams, uh, that, is, that is an example. There's some brilliant stuff there that's not written from a faith perspective, but I think church leadership teams, uh, Christian organizations would do very well to, to pick up what's, what's going on there and, and integrate it into their practice. But I think I would say this, just on this whole question of importing from, from outside of, of the Christian world, um, while we're looking to integrate, I think we need to be very careful about what we allow to become the dominant motifs in how we think about leadership. Um, the dominant motifs in the Bible are terms like shepherd and servant, not CEO. And I think if we, if we are not careful in the way we do our integration, 
um, we end up bringing in things like that, that, that bring with them concepts of leadership which are probably antithetical uh, to the kind of leadership that scripture calls for. Uh, and also we, we end up importing false measures of success, I think. So it's a question really of what most shapes our understanding. Are we most, most shaped by scripture or are we most shaped by models that are outside of scripture? So you're listening to Leadership Far with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Dr. Alan Wilson. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership Far with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Dr. Alan Wilson. So, Alan, you're writing a book about the uh, uh, about leadership, which focuses on the life of Moses and what we learn from him. But I was interested that you're nervous about going to Scripture to illustrate what you want it to illustrate, rather than allowing Scripture to critique our assumptions about leadership itself yeah. now maybe you could just unpack that a little bit because i think it's an important lesson because many seem to go to scripture and just mine it for what they want to see exactly yeah i think that's very perceptive andy um and i and i realize that uh, it's very possible that by the time i'm done writing this that, that people will read it and they'll be able to point to ways in which i've fallen into my own trap with all kinds of self-contradictory stuff um i mean the reality is that that when we come to the Bible, we, we don't come with a blank slate. Um, we come with our, uh, we're colored by, our, by the experiences of life that, that we've had um, and we bring that with us. And I think even when we come uh, to think about leadership in scripture, um, we come with, our, with a certain amount of assumptions because of examples of leadership, good examples, bad examples of leadership that we've already seen. And it's very tempting for us then to look at episodes in scripture and say, oh, look, there's there's that uh, there's that principle there. And it, goodness, it's the same thing that you see in such and such a person's book. Um, and it's not that that's entirely that that's entirely invalid. Um, but it's not why the Bible was written. The Bible, no portion of the Bible, whether it's the story of Nehemiah or the story of Moses, no portion of the Bible is intended to be set out as Leadership 101. Um, so I think one of the things we've got to be very careful about is that we don't uh, somehow lose the intent of Scripture, why Scripture was given to us. Having said that, what I think I would, what I'd, what I'd like to do with with the book is to is to tell the story of Moses. Um, obviously, I'll emphasize certain parts of it um, that that resonate with particular lessons of leadership that I, that I, that I want to observe. Um, but I want to tell the story of Moses in such a way that someone who reads the book, who's involved in leadership, feels that they've got a mirror that they can hold up where they can look at themselves and they can look at their own leadership journey. And I do think that the story of Moses is is a a brilliant uh, resource for that. Obviously, I know I say this again, his story is not in scripture primarily to be an example of leadership. Um, he's got other functions, but he is one of the most remarkable leaders in scripture. And I think the text gives a huge lot of, uh, spends a huge lot of time on, if you like, the, the inner workings of what it is that made Moses a, a leader. And that's where I'm trying to draw uh, a lot of value from. Thank you. Uh, and so to your thesis, uh, Alan, that uh, regarding the role of what you call crucible experiences and how these help to, to shape us and particularly those in uh, Christian leadership. Yeah. Um, 
The term crucible, um, I should explain that. It, it, it probably has people squirming in, in their seats uh, because it, it, uh, it, it automatically evokes uh, pain and intense heat and, and so on. So I need to say a little bit just about where that, where that term came from. A um, number of years ago, a couple of business writers, Warren Bennis and Robert Thomas, wrote a book. Uh, at the time, they called it Geeks and Geezers. The publishers eventually republished it with a, a much more boring title. I liked the title Geeks and Geezers. But what they had done was they took two two separate generations of leaders, one one generation of leaders who'd, be, who'd come of age uh, post-Second World War, um, and then the generation that effectively would have been the age of their grandchildren. And they wanted to set these two generations of leaders together uh, and, and to try to explore the, the impact of era uh, on on leaders. They discovered that there were that there were certain differences, but they also discovered there were certain similarities. And one of the things they discovered was that every leader that they talked to, whether it was a, a, a geek from the younger generation or a geezer from the older generation, um, they, they all were able to point to some kind of uh, intense transformative experience that they'd gone through. Sometimes they were very painful experiences, like someone who'd been in a prisoner of war camp. Uh, other times they were probably more what you or I would call a light bulb moment, um, where a light bulb suddenly switches on, not necessarily painful. Uh, but the point was that there was a certain intensity to them and there was a transformative value uh, to them. So I took that concept and I thought, right, what is this going to look like in a Christian leader? That's really what the thesis is looking is, is looking at. Um, and I think what emerged from that then was a picture of the many factors that, that shape Christian leaders. And I, I, brought, I, I kept borrowing uh, from uh, Warren Bennis and Robert Thomas, particularly from Robert Thomas's, uh, the way he developed his own work. Um, and, and I looked at th three broad groups of crucible experiences. Um, the first group was uh, what he calls and what I called new territory. So things like the conversion or the call experience of, of, a, of a leader or being plunged into a new assignment. People talk about a learning curve or a baptism of fire, all that kind of thing. Then there's, a, there's another set of crucible experiences which we called reversals, um, which included things like conflict, difficulties, challenges, personal challenges, ministry-related challenges. And then the third category was what we called isolation. Uh, and that would be things like illness that maybe meant that someone was was set aside from their leadership for for a phase, but also something like retirement, um, and that can be a moment of real crisis for some leaders. They they probably want to put it off as long as they possibly can, and eventually what it comes when it comes is very disorienting. But that sense of isolation, being separate from from ministry, from ministry and, and from leadership, um, and as I looked at it and and try to pull together what all this was doing in people's in people's lives very broadly speaking i would say that crucible experiences contribute to who the leader is so they crucibles can reveal issues of character um crucibles help to develop resilience they help to develop a person's relationship with god but also crucibles contribute to what the leader does the leader's calling uh, and sometimes the mark that a, that a leader makes as a leader. You know, there are some people, and you can probably think of them as well as I can, and you think of their leadership, uh, maybe it's in a church, maybe it's an organization, and there's been a particular emphasis, and it's not just something that the leader has 
subscribe to in a general way, but it's a deep part of who they are, and that has made an imprint on the church or the organization that they have led. And sometimes that's because they've gone through a painful crucible experience that has given what one of my uh, participants referred to as an existential intensity to something that they that they believed. Um, so that's that's it in a bit of a nutshell. I, I think that we don't always develop uh, in terms of of uh, short sharp bursts of intensive experiences uh, someone once used the the, the expression uh, talked about the term of, of, of crock pot sometimes leadership uh, is grown in a crock pot a slow cooker uh, more than a crucible uh, but I think crucibles when they do come they're a bit like an accelerated learning process that teach leaders important lessons about themselves and about God and about their calling sure and and I guess if if you're um, speaking to leaders now who are in that period, then people, you know, hanging and hang on in there. God is doing something is probably what yeah. you want to say. Yeah, that, that's that's right. I mean, I think you know, people who are going through that, you, you want to get you want to get to that point. Obviously, there's a, there's an awful lot more that that you, in in terms of how you'd want to respond to somebody who's going through that. And if anybody's listening to this, I think uh, one of the encouragements I would give would be to you know to find someone if, if possible who can help you to find strength in the Lord, like a David and Jonathan situation. But as you say, Andy, yeah, hang on in there. And I think look for ways in which the experience that you're going through is contributing to who you are and it's contributing to your calling. Um, and are other particular writers or thinkers that have helped you in your understanding, especially, Alan? I think in, 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 the, in terms of the whole general idea of the making of a leader, there was a book of that title, which I think must be, must be around 30 years old um, by Robert Clinton. Uh, it's called The Making of a Leader. Um, I think it's, it's relevant and probably somewhere was in, my, was in my subconscious somewhere when I began uh, thinking about the project a few years ago. Um, it's very systematized, maybe overly systematized in terms of the way he approaches a leader's life and the experiences a leader goes through, but very useful. And I think another book that I found very helpful, um, not, not an academic book as, as such, um, but a very worthwhile book that I would recommend to people is a book called A Work of Heart uh, by Reggie McNeil. Um, and what Reggie McNeil does is he takes four uh, leaders, I think it takes Moses and David from the Old Testament, Jesus and Paul from the New Testament, um, and he extracts six themes. He calls them arenas, arenas in which God is working with a leader to shape the leader. And those are culture, so what's around the leader, the, 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 the culture around them, uh, call, communion, which is relationship with God, conflict, community, and the commonplace. Um, and and he, he identifies those in the lives of those four leaders, and then he digs into each, each of the six of them. And it was a book that I found to be very challenging and very perceptive. Um, I know that sometimes we read books and we say, well, that's the best book I've ever read. And, and maybe it was, but maybe actually it wasn't. It just seemed like it because at the particular time, the particular stage we're at, it really, it really answers uh, something that we're looking for or challenges in particular ways. Um, but I found, I found Reggie Clinton, uh, um, Reggie McNeil, sorry, when I read him a few years ago, I found that to be a brilliant book on leadership. Highly recommended. Thank you. So it's A Work of Heart by Reggie McNeil. Yep. 
Fabulous. That's it. That's the one. Good. Well, uh, t- time is almost over, um, Alan. Fa- fascinating to chat with you. But you have your own podcast on leadership to point people to. So tell us about that. Well, the podcast, it's called the Leadership Journey Podcast. Um, and it's really, a, it's really a continuation of what I'd begun to do with my research. My, my research involved fairly in-depth conversations with a number of leaders. Um, and I've carried on uh, less formal conversations with, with other leaders. Um, usually it's an opportunity for me to chat with a leader about their story, their journey, who has shaped them along the way, who've been the influencers, what are some of the things that they've learned? What would they say to their 20-year-old self if they had the opportunity to to be transported back in time with all that they've learned subsequently? Fabulous. Good. Well, thank you so much for all that you've shared. And uh, uh, um, Dr. Alan Wilson, of course, can people get in touch with you via the college if they wanted to? Um, probably the easiest, the easiest way generally would be to contact me via the, the podcast. Um, you know, I, yeah, you can get me through Belfast Bible College or the Irish Bible Institute or the Irish Baptist College. But uh, I, have a, I have a blog uh, which hosts my podcast and it's called Your Leadership Journey. So it's yourleadershipjourney.net. Uh, and if anyone wanted to get in touch with me, um, you can do that. That's probably the easiest way to get, to get in touch with me through that. Fabulous. Well, thank you, Alan, very much indeed. Lovely to have had you along. Thank you, Andy. It's a privilege to have been here. Thank you. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, do uh, log on to Premier's website and listen to the archive versions of The Leadership File. Uh, you, you may be listening on a podcast, so you know how to get uh, copies of uh, future podcasts by going to uh, that particular medium. Uh, and look forward to your Sunday again, uh, your company again next Sunday at 4pm. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.